my God, we are back, baby! Okay, I guess that's, you know, where we're starting this episode at. Cool. Everyone, get the hell in here. Get comfortable. Take your seats. Get the blanket, whatever. Maybe you're cleaning. Oh, don't stop for me. Please, clean the hell away. Uh, Teach me. How do I do that as well? (laughs) Hey, welcome back to Depressed and Shit, a podcast that explores the question... What would happen if we made more space to share our pandemic era experiences with mental health? Bish, what would happen? Would the world explode? I really confidently think we have been discovering that the world does not explode. And we've also been connecting on some really cool and really raw levels. I'm your host, Leah Mata. I am not a therapist. And I've got a bit of a sailor's mouth that I am making a... (laughs) mild efforts to keep in check. Mild. But I mean, look, I think if you agreed to tune into a podcast called Depressed and Shit, you should already have a relatively clear idea of what you're in for. Yeah? Come fucking on. (laughs) So I don't know about you, but hmm, things for me have been starting to feel pretty weird. Um, pretty depressive with all these new um, rising COVID case numbers and the new lockdown restrictions, at least in California. I want to share with you a rather um, uncomfortable feeling that I had recently that's been sort of trailing me. So last week, my partner and I, we were talking about potential travel plans for June 2021. And with all the news about the vaccine, it's seeming like these June travels to Costa Rica for a wedding are pretty likely going to happen for us. So like you think that a converse, you would think that a conversation with my loved one about an upcoming international trip would cause me excitement, right? Or just like, I don't know, any kind of positivity. But when we were talking, my sort of automatic internal response was apathy. Like this real pure indifference. Um, And I'm not really sure what that indifference signals, but it does really make me worry about what this pandemic could be doing to my psyche. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to sugarcoat things and I don't want to like lie to you. And I've just been wondering if... um, Is it possible to feel excitement for things anymore? I don't know. Maybe that feeling is just like compounded by the holidays and the pressure that the holidays put on us to appear joyful, right? Like joy has not been a common sentiment in my life as of late. And I don't know if and when this feeling will go away, but I really hope that it does. And, um, I wonder if you've experienced anything like that. So um, let's talk about today's episode. Yes, shall we? I really did enjoy, thank God, a little joy. I really did enjoy getting this episode cleaned up and ready for you. So as I previewed last week, today's episode features a legitimate mental health field worker, which is a depressed and shit milestone. So today's depressed guest, her name is Abby Ronquillo, and she's a licensed marriage and family therapist who works with all ages, but she has a focus on transitional aged youth. Now, Abby and I, we dive deep into the positives, but almost more so the shortcomings and complications of conducting therapy online, which Abby, like thousands, had to shift to 
quickly back in the spring. It was so affirming for me to hear about this particular topic from the perspective of the therapist who, yes, has feelings and experiences with all this shit, all the while having to keep her own mental health attended to so that, you know, she can be in a place to help people as well. It's so dynamic. I can barely imagine being in her position. Next week, we hear from a lady in the prime of her 20s trying to keep her head on straight while also lamenting the corners of her life that she's lost. And it's another fucking real one for you. Hey, if you want to help the show, please open your Apple Podcasts app and hit the five purple stars that helps keep depressed and shit going. And with that, here's Abby Ronquillo. first licensed legitimate clinician on depressed and shit (laughs) you know that's so surprising to me because all the episodes prior to this listening to them to be honest had such great insight as I guess consumers of mental health usage I don't know yes that's really funny (laughs) but I I know I agree and I I keep saying Each time I get off an interview, I take this like massive exhalation and just realize how easy all of my interviewees have made made have made my job as an interviewer so far. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So you are a therapist, right? Correct. Yeah, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a personal clinical counselor associate. Those are two distinct things. Yeah. So I don't know what it is about the United States, but I guess every state has its own um, individual needs. Right. So personal clinical counselor or PCC is more widely known, I guess. If you go to somewhere like in the Midwest or even on the East Coast, PCC or LPCC is is much more known. And here in in California, LMFT or marriage family therapist is what we use more. Oh, like, interesting. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And and now I guess PCCs are coming to California or becoming <laughs> more known in California. Do they um, take different studies or degrees in order to be considered one? It's funny. It's a lot of it overlaps. Mm-hmm. You're going to have some variants, but not that much. Even social workers um, take right. very similar courses to uh, marriage and family therapists as well as personal clinical counselors. And sometimes we do similar work. So it's it's very interesting. <laughs> a lot of a lot of it is similar work. There's so much overlap in all the fields you just named. And just I'm so curious. I'm learning each episode I talk with someone new, I learn new acronyms. So with you, yeah. I knew the acronym LMFT is a language and marriage family therapist. Is an MFT the same thing? Yeah. So if you the L is just like the license part. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of times we don't say the L, like we just say you're an MFT because... Oh, it just expedites the conversation. (laughs) Okay, that's so simple. That's funny that you say that though. So a friend of mine is in the process of applying to graduate programs in, I guess... Well, here's the issue. Like, I think she's looking to become an LMFT. So out of curiosity, I just went on to Antioch University. I just picked one at random, Mm -hmm. Antioch University. And so I was looking at the different 
master's degree options to become a therapist. And I was just like, these all sound so similar. And I'm so confused how they're different from each other. And just like the wording is very confusing yeah. to, you know, there's like clinical psychology and counseling. I'm like, what are the differences between those things? Yeah, it's so nuanced. And it's so funny that like the variants could be just like two or three courses and maybe neuropsychology or like pathology or criminal psychology or whatever it might be. And then that changes your degree. Right. So you're an MFT. What, Mm -hmm. what is the demographic of your clients? So it's changed a lot, I guess, over the years of like obtaining my, my degree and and everything. I started off working with children, predominantly like zero to 12 ish. That's where I, I focused my attention to. And then as I've gotten older, um, I started progressively working towards teens and adolescents and uh, now I take adults as well. Okay. Because the need is kind of there. But my, my focus or what I predominantly like to focus on is uh, transitional youth, which is 18 to 25, 30-ish. Got it. Well so sort of college age, post high school. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I actually, a lot of my colleagues do not like working with the same populations I like working with. They, really? They hate working with teenagers because teenagers tend to be very moody and very like up and down (laughs) with the hormones. Um, And they don't like working with crisis clients, you know, suicidal ideation, um, self-harm, runaways, like all of that stuff. That's like my jam. I love working with kids who have a lot of issues. Yeah, you go for the deep cuts. You're taking the hard route. I, you know what? It just, it's so easy to identify what the issue is. For me, it's kind of just like, it's there. It's not that it's always that simple, but it's, it's a starting place for Interesting. me. Interesting. Yeah. You yeah. beat me to my next question, which was what yeah. specifically drew you to working with transitional youth. But I guess you just, you feel as though you can understand their struggles with them. Yeah. And it's such a stark difference from working with children. When I worked with children for like, I think it was about four or five years, I was working with just youth. And a lot of times those issues were so hard to pull out of them, especially with kids. You were, you know, play therapy is a big thing with kids. And um, a lot of times they can't identify what their issues are because they don't have the wording or they don't have the language. And right. they don't really know what sometimes they don't even know why they're there. Right. Their parents bring them or something. I mean, yeah, I can relate to that with an experience. I, I was made to go to therapy in my teenage years. Oh, I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> so sitting there in your office and they're just kind of like, I don't know why I'm here. I'm right. Like, and I'm just like, I don't know why you're here either. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. You had shared with me that when you meet new people out in the world, not clients, when you're just out meeting friends of friends or anyone that you don't like to blurt out your profession, your position as a licensed therapist. Can you explain why? Yeah. You know, well, here in the United States, like, to be honest, I'm really satisfied with the progress we've made surrounding the stigma of mental health. Like I feel like Me too. It's, really, it's progressed a lot. It has. And a lot of people are seeing therapists and are very open about it. However, I think I don't know why, but the idea of a therapist is very intimidating to people. I can it, even see it like on people's faces when they start talking to me and then I somehow in the conversation say somehow that's my profession. Like, oh and then they shut down yeah and it's like I don't know people feel judged or people think like I was this whole time psychoanalyzing all of the conversation of what right that's interesting I mean I'm so glad that you shared that with me as well because I myself was freaking intimidated 
at the idea of interviewing like, you know, a full on licensed practiced <laughs> clinician in this field that I'm like pretending to have an understanding. Of. But I think I, I think just those little verbal reminders like you shared with me that therapists are just also people are really helpful. Right. I'm pretty sure that a lot of your, your listeners, as well as you probably share the same kind of idea of we all have several hats that we wear. And right. I don't necessarily want to wear my therapy hat all the time. If I'm at a bar or at the mall, I, I don't necessarily wear it. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. I also wonder if when you tell people that you're a licensed therapist, that they are struck by it because, you know, you're young, you're so young. I, <laughs> I feel like I think of therapists as being the, the, these older, wise individuals that, you know, know so much more than I do because they've been on the earth so many more decades than I have. <laughs> That's true. And so meeting a therapist earlier in their career is maybe a first for a lot of people. You're right. You know, I never... I didn't think about it that way, but that's that that's very interesting that you bring that to the table. Yeah. Oh, and so yeah. And so now you work in a group practice, right? Correct. Yeah. What are the other uh, therapists? How did you get connected with this group? I guess I, I've always wondered how that works. Sure. Yeah. So you know, in California, it's been really interesting just because of the whole the changes in regards to. 10, I don't know if you're familiar with like the changes in regards. Oh, self-employment. Yeah. Oh yes. My partner is a musician. I am well-versed in hearing about the hell of that. Right. Yeah. So, so that a lot of those changes happened um, at the same time that I, I started working with this group um, practice. So just kind of navigating that was interesting, but mm -hmm. a lot of times um, therapists are their own, I guess, entity or their yeah. own business. Right. Um, but we don't learn a lot of <laughs> the business model in school. <laughs> You know, it's it's focused predominantly, like I said, like on counseling and mm -hmm. theories and all that. And nobody teaches you like, hey, how did how do you become your own business? I feel like that's a huge shortcoming in so many educational programs. <laughs> yes. I don't even know where you get that type of education or I don't know how like there's you know, there's a big fluctuation in the field of therapy of like some people make a lot of money and they're just very good at, you know, marketing themselves. And then some people are just like me, just starting off their careers and not really sure how to do that. So I kind of lean towards the, the group therapy model where it's like I get my clients from someone who's already licensed, been in the field for a while. Yeah. It must be so weird as a therapist, especially as early career therapist, mm -hmm. to get out of school and suddenly have to think of yourself as a business because I don't feel like any therapist gets into the field for capitalistic reasons, right? You're getting oh. in it to help people. Yeah, there are some people, you know, I surprisingly, I've met a lot of therapists who have been very disappointed about how much money they are making in this field. And oh, I, interesting. I, I don't know what they were thinking. I guess, you know, Hollywood kind of paints this picture of, you know, that therapist with the couch and like right. the board. And well, I, I'm halfway through watching The Undoing on HBO, the new Nicole Kidman series, and she plays the therapist in it. Okay. But it's kind of difficult to connect to the series, at least in my opinion, because she and her family are so wealthy. They're like mm. upper, upper, upper Manhattan dwelling, like cream of the crop. And she's just like this fancy freaking therapist in like head to toe matching velvet outfits. I'm like, <laughs> so unrealistic. Or I've like, never met a therapist like that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. So I'm so curious. To, I have a bunch of questions sure, about your experience working you know, during the pandemic. So I guess we'll start with immediately prior to the pandemic, you were working full time in person, right? Yeah. Prior to the pandemic, I was actually, you know, virtual or they call it telehealth. Telehealth right. was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew people who were doing it. I just, I was kind of against it, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Uh, really against it just because I just, I I feel like there's so many downsides to telehealth. Um, Number one being, you can't really control the environment. Oh my gosh. Yes. A lot of things, especially confidentiality. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know who's with the other person. I don't know what they're doing, especially working with the populations I work with. Concentration's a huge thing. Even for me, you know, I get distracted very easily. So it's hard for (laughs) me to focus. Um, I know. Oh my God. I do therapy via telehealth now and I'll be looking at her and she's wonderful, but then my MacBook, you know, my texts will come up in the upper right corner <laughs> and I can't help but get yeah. see, notice them. There's that element. And then also I live with a roommate. So th- there's, yeah. we try to leave when the other has therapy, but there's never going to be that like real genuine sense of privacy, I feel like, or, you right. know, or even just like a car passing by or some kind of outside noise that right. disrupt the session. Yeah. So, okay. So you didn't dig telehealth, but then when the pandemic hit, you had no choice but to transition to right. it, right? Yeah. So at that time I was, I was taking insurance already, you know, I was already at the group practice and then they kind of just told us overnight, like, okay, well, you know, either, either you switch to telehealth. I, actually, no, I'm sorry. I was with Kaiser Permanente at the time Oh. and Kaiser didn't know what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a plan. And they at the time, they were kind of like, OK, well, we have telehealth in place, but we can't pay you for it. What? Yeah, because they didn't. I, I don't know what how the business, you know, I don't I don't do the business end of it. But sure. I just remember them saying, like, we can't pay you out for it. And I was just like, OK, this is an ethical dilemma for me because I'm not going to sit here and tell my clients I'm not going to give you therapy. Right. That but, is so confusing and doesn't make sense to me at all. Yeah, I think it was something along the lines of the copay or something. Like, okay. I think Kaiser couldn't charge them copay for them not coming in person because they couldn't prove that they were coming. I see. I see. Or something like that. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so they couldn't charge them at first, which meant that I couldn't get paid. Right. But I was just like, I don't care. You know, at the end of the day, it's a pandemic. People need, this is the time that people need support, mm-hmm. you know? So I was like, I'm going to find a way to make it happen. But yeah. I just need to call you for 15 minutes, make sure you're okay, whatever it might be. So see, look at you, you're making, you, you were making these huge sacrifices on behalf of your clients. Like right when all hell broke loose. I mean, you, you have to, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, we're all, I, I feel the sympathy and I feel the empathy too. You know, I was struggling and I, I knew that they were too. A lot of people dropped though. Like a lot of people were just like, uh, yeah, I was going to ask, did you experience <laughs> it like a boost in new clients or like, yeah. How did the numbers sort of pan out? Oh, I was scared too. Not only was I not getting paid for the clients I already had, no yes. one was coming in as well. Oh, and these were n- nobody of all ages were coming because yeah, I know, I know yeah. that like it was yeah. difficult to get young people, teenagers and young adults to show up for their classes and things like that. But therapy seems like a different sort of thing. I don't know if people didn't know if it was available or right. the whole fear of like, I don't want to go outside my house or I don't know if telehealth is available because I don't know if Kaiser was promoting it at the time mm-hmm. because they didn't want to pay. They didn't know. 
<laughs> how to pay for it, but it just nobody was coming in. So for that whole period of Mar- I think March throughout almost the beginning of June. Oh wow! It was almost like I think I only had like maybe two or three new clients in a month. That's so fascinating because that's when I would presume people needed support the most. Mostly, I I think a lot of people needed support. They just weren't getting it. Right. It wow. Was- so then, when did that ch- when did that change? Uh, around June, maybe even July. Yeah. Things started to sort of balance out. They figured out the system perhaps a little more clearly. I think that's when, like, yeah, I think the insurance companies kind of got their stuff together and they were kind of like, this is the new thing. We're going to just go with it. They figured out how insurance was going to work, the copay, everything. They got their own systems for, you know, HIPAA compliant online services and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you, HIPAA stands for, that's really important, right? HIPAA is the Protection Act, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know if HIPAA is all across America. But that was a big problem, as we kind of we kind of hinted at earlier, like the literal protection of individuals, medical records and privacy and all of that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is so confusing. These times. It's a whole different thing. I don't even know how that works in regards to telehealth. Right. Like, because there's no way to really guarantee that these records are safe. Like my client could be recording the session on their end or whatnot and potentially use that against me if they want to and say that I wasn't protecting their needs. Hmm. I just have to, in good faith, believe that that's not happening. Right. And then personally for you, how did this transition to working from home change your sort of sense of daily life, your pacing and just, you know, your work? Okay. Um, (laughs) It was hard. It was hard because so I work out of two offices. I have one office in like, which is considered Ventura County and then another office in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, you're commuting. Yeah, had been. It's, it's like a, about a 20 minute drive. And um, so I have clients. And at the time, like I said, I wasn't having that many clients come in or I didn't have a good fluctuation. So it was kind of like whoever wanted to come in and when they wanted to come in, I was going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So I would have a telehealth client drive all the way to Ventura County, come back to the San Fernando Valley, come back to Ventura County, and then come back to the telehealth. Like it was just all over the place, whatever time. Sometimes they would reschedule. I guess guess with this whole like pandemic thing too, that was a big thing. Rescheduling was just, everyone would reschedule all the time. Which I understand, you know, things happen, but it seems like it happens a lot more in the pandemic. That's interesting. And that's hard on you. I mean, I'm a tutor and I similarly have the scheduling has just been so sort of random and all over the place. But when clients cancel on me, like I'm not protected. That's a that's a financial loss for me. Mm -hmm. And it blows. So, you know, it's like this tricky thing of having to be understanding and empathetic and also being concerned for my own. Right. bank account you know exactly. what I mean yeah so I don't know um at first I thought telehealth was really great I was kind of mm. like you can manage all this time just do it back to back like everything's all here but then I started feeling the drain yeah you're doing telehealth with video interface right not only phone or like not only audio I only have two clients that do audio just because they don't have video accessibility but got it the rest of them have video yeah it's like on a video okay so that's so much screen time (laughs) it is a lot of screen time and i i am a very nearsighted person so okay and i suffer from migraine so it's been it's been very tough for me oh yeah blue light glasses are those a hoax i truly don't know (laughs) 
I have blue light on my glasses, but I still have the migraines and I also have like a screen <laughs> protector thing. I don't know. And maybe it's like a positive, pl- positive placebo effect or yeah, something right. like that. So now we're here, we're in, we're in November, but it essentially feels like December to me, at least, yeah. <laughs> at least as I've observed on Instagram, so many of my friends putting up their holiday decor <laughs> and all of that to try and find some cheer and all of this. But so the pandemic has been going on for, you know, coming up on 10 months now. And at least from my perspective, there have been sort of collective highs and lows for the last 10 months. I feel like we've all kind of gone through some shit and then it's calmed down and then new shit has materialized. And so I'd love to ask you about any sort of shared themes and experience you've noticed in your clients. I'm most curious about your transitional youth age. Mm -hmm. Sorry, did I say that right? Transitional age youth clients, like common reactions or common struggles that you've, that have been very palpable. You know, the thing about my transitional age youth, I'll be honest, and this is, it's kind of sad, Mm -hmm. but it's the truth. There's so much resiliency in those children because mm. of all the shit that they've been through and all the trauma that they've gone through, they are not phased. That is so interesting. Yeah. You mean pandemic related trauma or personal traumas personal from other, traumas. okay. From other life yeah. experiences. Right. I mean, the pandemic I, I would say is at this point, a part of that, you know, and a lot, I, of, yeah. a lot of stuff has transpired because of the pandemic. Like I have a client who, got kicked out of her home because partially because of the pandemic like the tension in the home was really strong because they were you know uh, quarantining right so then she had to leave so i think it's part of it it's a Hmm. lot it's a lot of that and um yeah wow (laughs) i'm getting like choked up but it's like it's so crazy to me that they just they can do it like they are the ones that don't have a hard time that's so interesting I was expecting, honestly, the utter opposite, that kids are, you know, having some sort of specifically really difficult time. But mm-hmm. I guess in the specific group that you work with, yeah, it was like in this sort of sad and twisted way, they were equipped to manage all of this. You know, it's funny, like in the trenches, while they're in the pandemic, I feel that they're okay. Like they know how to manage this because this is kind of like normalcy. Kind of just like, oh, I'm, I'm expecting bad things to happen. And like, this is it. But I am concerned about what will happen after the pandemic when things go back to quote unquote normalcy. Well, whatever that even means. I know that's become sort of a cliche to say, but like yeah. truly we don't know what normal, what the definition of normal will be in the coming years. I agree. Yeah. And that's going to be the hard part of this is like, I don't really think there is, to be honest, I don't think there is a normal after this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel like yeah. other than the literal transition from in-person to telehealth, other than that fact, has the way that you offer support changed at all from all, from all of this? <laughs> I think so. I think just because like everything is a lot more hypersensitive hmm. and there's a lot more awareness that has to be, there has to be a lot more awareness for all therapists in regards to how you show up for your clients. Because this is an experience that we're experiencing too. Not to say that the other things that clients bring into the the room aren't things that we experience, but we're all living this in real time. Right. Yeah, that's so true. It's like in the past, perhaps a client of yours went through something really gnarly and obviously you weren't there for it because you're, you know, you're not them. But now it's like, yeah, 
you're living through it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's completely different for me to have a shared experience with a client that's ongoing. You know, when, when it came to, for example, the, the election, that was something we shared in, in a moment, right? Like, it's kind of like, okay, this happened and we're talking about it. We're, we're, we're living through this one moment. And typically that would have just been kind of, hopefully, just a, a week or something to, to process whatever that was. Right. And go through it. But the pandemic has been continuously, continuously. Yeah. And, and other issues sprouting from that. So it's just like an organic, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. What is really nice about the pandemic, I guess, if you want to reframe it that way, is that it's giving therapists and other people as well the opportunity to model for each other. Like, this yeah. is what it looks like to, to go through this and to process it and to normal to be normal. Yeah. So based on everything you've just said, how have you sort of helped yourself as well? Stay in, <laughs> like, stay in a place where you, where you are even able to offer support, you know, because just being yeah. able to offer support, you have to be at a certain level, like a, at a certain baseline. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that, you're asking the big questions. That's, uh, well, you know. <laughs> I always, this is number one. If your therapist doesn't have a therapist, they are not a good therapist. Oh, I love that. Yes. So I go to therapy regularly. That's very beneficial to me. That's helpful. And I think just always, uh, I don't know. I'm very genuine with my clients. Mm. So I believe in like a very humanistic approach to therapy, which is kind of just being true to yourself and like, who you are. If I feel a certain way on a date, not that I, not that the therapy is about me, but I'll tell my clients, you know, like I'm feeling a little bit anxious today, or are you feeling anxious? And sometimes that can be a shared experience. Cool. So that's helpful. That's cool. Yeah. I feel as though I'm like getting the sense that you've made these like massive steps forward in your relationship with your clients. (laughs) Just maybe almost this sort of bizarre silver lining from the pandemic. I do see silver linings from the pandemic in certain ways. It it might be odd to consider silver linings in these days since things are so messy, but there are some little things here and there that have been beneficial and good. There's always, I think, something good in in everything. In every crisis. We have to think that way, I think. Yeah. I will say... I, so I'm, I'm a teacher and a tutor and Mm -hmm. sort of similar to you. I work with some of my students online and then I do have a pod in person. So I have Mm -hmm. this sort of odd blend of working on the screen all day and then sometimes working with these kids in real time. And you're right. It's like, I want to make these grand statements. Like they're, they're having the worst time out of all of us and we have to support them but in a way they've just kind of been calm it's been sucky i think if anything it's just been sucky because they missed their friends i think the social aspect is the number one thing but for the most part they haven't shown to me much like sad emotion they've just been kind of like okay yeah, like, this is it. <laughs> like, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? Is that real? Is there something you're not showing me? I get a lot of apathy. It's almost it's, just like, yes, over it. apathy, <laughs> apathy. Absolutely. 
Hmm, maybe just because they're young, they don't even know what they're missing because <laughs> they haven't experienced it yet, which is also so dark when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Do you think do, do you think telehealth is going to be a permanent fixture in your career now from this experience? Oh, I think so. And I think I think um, just like working from home or telework in general, um, a lot of companies I know, like at the beginning of the pandemic, had noticed that like that you can save a lot of money from like eliminating brick and mortar places or like, uh, you know, saving a lot of money from having people commute. And it always comes down to cost cutting, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So I think like a lot of insurance companies at least can notice that as well, that you can cut a lot of costs by um, doing telehealth. Do I feel like it's the best way to? Yeah. How do you feel about that? I'm still a little bit resistant to be honest. Right. Yes. It's a, what's the word? It's um, convenient. It's convenient to to do it from home. I just don't necessarily feel like it's the best option if you have the option to go outside. I suppose when the time is right, post-vaccine, you could advocate to, you know, you could consciously encourage your clients to move back to in-person. Yeah, you could. And like, I don't know what the the structure, at least for insurance-based clients, I don't know what the structure is going to be like because I don't know if they're going to charge them different. Like the copay might be cheaper for telehealth and that will make people want to do telehealth versus, you know, in person, or I don't know how they'll structure it that way. Right. Um, And some, some therapists like telehealth. It might be that way, but it's, I do feel like if telehealth is going to stay around, they're going to need to do a lot more regulation and policy in regards to HIPAA compliance. Got it. How we're going to navigate that. Yeah. It also just struck me, I I would imagine now people that have never sought therapy before from the pandemic are possibly seeking therapy for the first time in their lives, right? Which is cool. Mm -hmm. But then what's weird is that they're encountering therapy for the first time in their lives via like a basically a zoom like platform. And that's going to be their first perception of what talk therapy is. Yeah. Which sounds very odd to me. I've had a couple of those. Actually, you're right. Um, a couple of people who have come to therapy for the first time, some pandemic related and some not, but mm-hmm. it's, it's been virtual for the first time. Yeah, because there is something sacred to me about getting in your car and going somewhere. And that's not isolated to therapy, you know, like mm-hmm. church. I don't go to church, but maybe for others, church, <laughs> like the theater, you know, is a yeah. big one that just like the sacredness of traveling there and being in the space is very special to me. And I feel the same way about mental health services. I agree. And I don't know if that's kind of if this is just a, a gateway or a tele it's telling to what the future holds because a lot of this is, you know, 21st century, I guess, engagement, you know, everything is online now, a paperless, uh, social media engagement. Uh, we have people doing weddings online, everything's online, you know? So maybe in the future, this is just the way things might have to be. And I'm dragging my my feet towards it. Me too. I I feel like the pandemic just thrust us 50 years into the technological future that that you and I, as far as our generation, were supposed to miss. (laughs) Absolutely. But yeah, I really I just I miss the sanctity of going places. It has to be be a balance, though, because it's not for everyone. You know, there has to be an option. They can't say it's all it's going to be all telehealth because there are people who cannot do telehealth services. There are people who do not feel safe in their home to disclose certain information. Um, there, right. are, there are people that, you know, it, it's just not 
viable. It's not a good place for them to open up. There has yeah. to be there has to be options. I also just think at a certain point, society is going to bell curve back towards wanting to commune and come together for in-person socializing. I, I feel like it's just an element of our nature that we can't deny for years and years and years. Like, I mean, even just the whole Zoom fatigue thing that mm-hmm. started happening back in the late spring. That's very real. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Abby. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. If you or or any of your listeners have any further questions, you can always send me an email. Uh, My email address is info at try, T-R-I hyphen counseling.com. Awesome. Yay. Depressed and Shit was recorded in a real live bedroom in Los Angeles, California. Music by Eric England, logo designed by Carrie Weiss, produced and hosted by Real Honest Batch, Liamata. Do you have reactions to today's episode? Do you have an experience with mental health you'd like to share? Or are you the baby angel from the heavens that wants to donate to cover administrative costs and all that fun shit? Email us at depressedandshitpodcast at gmail.com. No asterisk here, folks. That's just the logo. Shit is spelled S-H-I-T. Bye-bye. To repeat, depressedandshitpodcast at gmail.com. See you next Wednesday.